listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I am your host, Jim Laird. First of all, thanks to everyone who uh, responded with emails and, and words of encouragement over my last podcast. I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate your feedback as well. It's a Sunday um, afternoon here in Kentucky, and uh, the Kentucky Wildcats have just won the SEC tournament, which is kind of a, basketball's kind of a big deal here if you don't know that. Um, so they won the SEC tournament, beating Tennessee. So all is well here in Lexington for now. And then March Madness is starting up, which is always pretty fun around here and uh, leads for very interesting times at the gym because depending on um, what the basketball schedule is will depend on how busy we are. It's pretty interesting. Today, um, I actually just got done doing some uh, stuff outside, did a little sledgehammer work and spent some time out in the uh, in the sun. It's been kind of gray and yucky here lately. So I was lucky I was able to get some uh, some sun time outside, and I did some Aerodyne bike, did some conditioning. So now I'm just going to sit down and really going to kind of do something a little different today. Um, just been observing, um, you know, not only over the last 20 years of what I've been doing here, you know, training kids and, and family, you know, working with with moms, so I, I get to hear with what's going on with kids and certain things in the news. Um, Lately, and I've just pulled up some different articles that I've seen on Facebook um, talking about mental health, uh, especially with with kids. And um, we're going to kind of go over some of these articles, and I'll, I'll put them all in the. I'll have uh, Pale put them all in the show notes, um, so you can review them themselves. But these articles just kind of um, kind of summarize, you know, kind of what's going on. You know, if you look at technology in the last, you know, even ten or fifteen years. If you go back a hundred years, it's really, really changed. But, you know, I remember when my dad, we got our first, uh, you know, cell phone in the car. It was plugged into a cigarette lighter. It was a Motorola. It was like five, you know, five dollars a minute. And, uh, you know, the Motorola flip phones. And when I was in the third grade, Atari came out and they had Space Invaders and all that stuff. But you can only really play that stuff for so long. The majority of our time was spent outside. We did play some video games, but nothing like today. And uh, if you think about it, it's pretty amazing, you know, this podcast that you can record, you know, even 30 years ago, you'd have to go to a recording studio and then you'd have to get it put on cassette or tape or you'd have to go to a radio station. Uh, now anybody can can do this stuff and you can talk to somebody halfway around the world on Skype. You can do it over your phone. You know, I, I have a friend in Thailand that I talk to all the time um, on my phone for, for nothing because it's, it's online, which is really neat but uh, there might be some consequences to uh, all this technology and that's what we're going to kind of get into today and the first article i'm going over is um influential group of doctors says teens should be screened for depression and um it gets into some really crazy statistics um about 
teens and depression, which two of the articles on here use the same statistics. And uh, between 2010 and 2015, the number of American teens uh, frequently experimented, uh, frequently experienced um, high levels of depressive, depressive symptoms like joyness, lack of joyness, uh, rose 33 percent according to a 2017 study published in Journal of Clinical Psychological Science. The same study suggested death by suicide among teens went up 31 percent. Um, in 2011, for the first time in more than two decades, suicide began killing more teenagers than, than homicide. Um, so they're basically saying that all teens should be screened for depression because of this uh, this increase. Uh, also, you know, including adults are, are becoming more depressed. So it has this questionnaire in there. Um, that's basically it. You know, you should seek out. Um, it doesn't really offer any suggestions of causes or anything like that. But it just says, that, you know, all teens should be screened for depression based on, on these new statistics and they should seek help. Um, the next article is uh, pretty interesting because um, it not only talks about the same statistics, but it also kind of offers some theories on causes. Uh, the number, uh, number of 13 to 18-year-olds who committed suicide jumped 31%. Uh, in a new paper published in Clinical, this this article is titled "With Teen Mental Health Deteriorating Over five, the Last Five Years." There's likely a culprit, and it goes off that same same statistics of that study. Um, interesting. Um, the generation of teens called iGen, those born after 1995, is much more likely to experience mental health issues than the millennial predecessors. What happened uh, so that so many teens in a such short period of time would feel depressed, attempted suicide, and commit suicide? After scouring several large surveys taking teens for clues, I found that all the possibilities traced back to major changes in teens' lives um, and the sudden uh, prevalence of the smartphone. Talks about, you know, 2010 there's steady economic growth there's there's economic issues that, that play a part but it hasn't really changed that much and that you know the um, gap between the rich and the poor has been widening for decades so they don't really think that's a big part of it according to the Pew Research Center smart smartphone ownership crossed the 50% threshold in late 2012 right when teen depression and suicide began to increase by 2000 15, 73% of teens had access to a smartphone. Not only did the smartphone use and depression increase in tandem, but time spent online was linked to mental health issues across two different data sets. We found that teens who spend five or more hours a day online were 71% more likely than those who spent less than an hour a day to have at least one suicide risk factor, depression, thinking about suicide, making a suicide plan, or attempted suicide. Overall, suicide risk factors rose significantly after two or more hours uh, a day of time online. Of course, it's possible instead of time online causing depression, depression, uh, de depression causes more online time. I mean, I've found that when I am not in a good place, I, I crave watching 
videos and things like that online to kind of, um, you know, as therapy, which usually ends up with me feeling more tired. Uh, and usually what I do is get off my phone as best I can, and that usually helps. Two follow people over time, both studies finding that spending more time on social media led to unhappiness, while unhappiness did not lead to more social media use. A third random assigned participant to give up Facebook for a week versus continuing their use. Those who avoided Facebook reported feeling less depressed at the end of the week. So there's some kind of anecdotal evidence there for you. Um, But the article also talks about, you know, how the more social media time you spend, the more time you spend on the phone, the less likely you are to get good sleep. Not sleeping enough is a major risk factor for depression, so smartphones are causing less sleep. That alone could explain why depression and suicide increase so suddenly. Not, not alone, uh, you know, kids spending all day inside in a schoolroom and barely going outside. So it goes into a bunch of different factors, but but that's basically it. It talks about the, how the phone, they think phone is a big contributor to uh, to a lot of this depression and mental instability that we're seeing in, in kids and teens these days. Um, and that kind of takes us into this interesting article um, on the Harvard Health uh, Publishing, Harvard Medical School. Blue light has a dark side. Exposure to blue light at night, admitted by electronics and energy-efficient light bulbs, can be harmful to your health. So this isn't like um, some, uh, uh, you know, tinfoil hat website. This is a Harvard Medical website. And so what they've done with light bulbs is they've made them more efficient by taking out red and purple, and they just have blue, and red and purple cause heat. Um, they, they create more heat, like an incandescent has a more of a full spectrum. It creates more heat. It uses more energy. So they basically, the LEDs, they've taken out this red and blue or red and, or red and purple, and that balances out blue light, makes it more like sunlight. It's not as good as sunlight, but it balances it out. So just having blue, um, is not something we're evolved to deal with. And so they're getting into how this blue light is affecting. Um, until the event of artificial lighting, the sun was the major source of lighting. People spent their evenings relative darkness. Now in, in much of the world, evenings are illuminated and we are taking our easy access to all those lumens is pretty much for granted. But we may be paying a high price for basking that light at night, throws our body's biological clock or circadian rhythm out of whack, sleep suffers, Worse research shows that it may contribute to the causation of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. But not all colors of light have the same effect. Blue wavelengths, which are beneficial during daylight hours because it boosts attention, reaction times, and mood, seem to be the most disruptive at night. And the proliferation of electronics with screens as well as energy-efficient lighting is an increase to our exposure of blue wavelengths, especially after sundown. Daily rhythms influenced by light. Everyone has slightly different circadian rhythms, but the average length is 24 and one quarter hours. The circadian rhythm of people who stay up late is slightly longer, while the rhythms of early birds fall short of 24 hours. Dr. Charles something. 
Kreschler of the Harvard Medical School showed in 1981 that daylight keeps a person's internal clock aligned with the environment. So basically, you know, the sun sets sets our clock, and the fact that we really don't go outside anymore kind of messes that all up. The health risks of nighttime light. Some studies suggest a link between exposure to light at night, such as working the night shift to some types of cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, and obesity. That's not proof that nighttime light exposure causes these conditions, nor is it clear. It could be bad for us, but we do know exposure to light suppresses uh, secretion of melatonin, a hormone that influences circadian rhythm. And there is some experimental evidence, it's very preliminary, that low melatonin levels might explain association with cancer. So it goes into the connection between light and diabetes and all this good stuff. Um, while light of any kind can suppress secretion of melatonin, blue light at night does so more powerfully. Harvard Research and their colleagues conducted an experiment comparing the effect of 6.5 hours of exposure to blue light to exposure of green light uh, of comparable brightness. The blue light suppressed melatonin for about as twice as long as the green light did and sh shifted circadian rhythms between as much as three um, three hours versus the 1.5 from the green. Another study of blue light researchers at the University of Toronto compared melatonin levels of people exposed to bright indoor lights who were wearing blue light blocking goggles to people exposed to regular dim light wearing uh, without wearing goggles. In fact, the levels of hormone were about the same in the two groups. The hypothesis that blue light is potent suppressor of melatonin. Uh, it also just suggests that shift workers and night owls could perhaps protect themselves if they wore uh, eyewear that blocks blue light and expresses sunglasses with orange tinted lenses blue, block blue light. They also block other colors, so they're not suitable for indoor use uh, at night. Glasses that block out only blue light cost, you know, they're pretty cheap now. You can get them for $39 on Amazon. And that's what, you know, I try and get a lot of my kids that have to do computer work to get you know, some glasses that they can wear at night and it's helped their sleep um, significantly. If blue light does have adverse health effects and environmental concerns, the, the quest for energy efficient lighting could be at odds with personal health. Uh, LEDs are much more energy efficient, the old-fashioned incandescent light bulbs we grew up with, but they also tend to produce more blue light. The physics of fluorescent lights can't be changed, but coatings inside the bulbs can be to produce warmer, less blue light LEDs are more efficient than fluorescent lights, but they also produce a fair amount of light in the blue spectrum. What can you do? Use dim red lights at night for lights. Red light has the, has the least power to shift circadian rhythm and suppress melatonin. Avoid looking at bright screens at the beginning of the two to three hours before bed. If you work night shift or use a lot of electronic devices at night, consider wearing blue blocking glasses or install an app filter. Um, you can get this app called Flux that will help expose yourself to a lot of bright light during the day, which boosts your ability to sleep at night, uh, as well as your mood alertness, especially in the morning. If you can get outside in the morning without glasses, uh, there's a lot of reading a couple books now about your eye and how your eye sets your, your clock. So getting outside in the morning uh, would help with that. 
And then there's another uh, article that talks about autism and the explosion in, in the diagnoses of autism. And basically it talks about uh, how they think maybe screens could be possibly contributing to that. Um, some children who have been diagnosed with autism or autistic spectrum disorder, ASD, could dramatically benefit from not being exposed to electronic screens. New clinical case studies have found that many young children who spend too much screen time on TVs, video games, tablets, and computers have symptoms labeled as autism. When parents take away the screens for a few months, the child's symptoms disappear. Uh, the term for this phenomenon is virtual autism or autism induced by electronic screens. The term virtual autism was coined by uh, a Romanian clinical psychologist, Dr. I'm not even going to try that name. Um, they witnessed a rise in autism among youngsters in children's hospital. The cause was unknown. So uh, one psychiatrist dug into the active logs of the hospital, collected them in all patients. In those recordings, he found a strong trend. Uh, children presenting with autism were spending four or five hours a day watching some kind of screen television, computer, tablet, or phone. Today in Romania, treatment of autism by screen withdrawal is considered routine as public support. Uh, we are starting to see a rise in autism in the United States, uh, a trend that has parents and teachers and mental health professionals puzzled and concerned. These statistics from the Center of Disease Control point a stark picture of the raising rate of diagnosis. In 1975, 1 in 5,000 children were diagnosed. 2005, it was 1 in 500. In 2014, uh, one in 68. Uh, the latest government survey of parents suggests that today the number of children living with autism may be as high as one in 45, especially in big cities like Orange County, California. Uh, that means that today in the United States, a child is 100 times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than a child in 1975, which is when I was born. What's going on? What is behind this exponential rise in diagnosis of autism? Does removing electronic screens from the lives of at least some young children decrease the risk of autism or even reduce their symptoms after they've been diagnosed? Two French doctors uh, with expertise in child development, I'm not even going to try their names, uh, have created an excellent YouTube video that provides some answers, and the video called is called Screens, Danger for Children of Zero to Four in French and English subtitles. They made the video based on case studies at Dr not even going to try that name. Their intent was to warn parents and health professionals about the rising tide of virtual autism and propose some solutions. Uh, some children between the ages of zero and four were diagnosed with autism, benefited from lending their exposure to electronic screens. Uh, these, these symptoms entirely disappeared after one month of, a month of eliminating screen time. Um, the research has concluded that screen time hindered these children's brains, uh, brain development and prevented them from developing normal social life. For example, let's see here. Um, in the video, the doctor points out that children's TV shows teach a child to repeat words without knowing what the words mean. A child can count, 
but the child doesn't know what the number means. For example, a child can repeat the number three, but if you ask the child, give me three pencils, the child cannot do it. When shown a picture and asked the question like, what is this little girl doing? A child simply echoes the words, what is this little girl doing? Instead of answering the question. And this is where it gets um, interesting. Children learn the meaning of words through social interaction by playing with real objects. Sounds familiar. And having someone look at him or her and talk with him or her. A mother says, put on your coat and we will go out for a walk, which is associated with the action of putting on a coat and going for a walk. Giving the words context and meaning, a child learns about the words by manipulating a toy with his hands, feeling it with his mouth, throwing it on the ground. This is how uh, the child's brain registers and connects. A small child's brain cannot develop without a sense of touch interaction, which is where play comes in. <clears throat> As you've heard me talk about the death of play uh, in America. Light and noise from electronic screens capture the child's attention, but they do not lead to a healthy brain development. And they cited a study uh, at the bottom of the screen for that. <clears throat> Indeed, screens are so alluring that it's difficult for the child, or me, to turn to something else. In short, he or she becomes more distracted to the screen and addicted. The screen also isolates the child from human interaction, which is necessarily to communicate uh, skills in language development. Even worse, the noise and the light from the screens, even cartoons, can generate painful emotions the child can barely cope with. These feelings can lead to violent and aggressive behavior in a young child. Uh, what is striking is that the explosions in diagnosis of autistic spectrum disorder is that it correlates with the increased use of television since 1975 and the digital revolution in 1975, a typical... Uh, family had one TV screen today. The digital families often have 10 to 15 screens. Besides ever larger TV screens, we have desktop computers, laptops, tablets, smartphones, and video game players. Tablets are offer, often advertised as, in toy catalogs for babies as young as six months old. Young children are exposed to screens far more than recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children under the age of two not be exposed to screen at all and that older children be limited to two hours a day. Interesting, uh, the, the exploding rise in autism affects children in all rich countries and only rich countries from the perspective of virtual autism. It makes sense that countries that have not experienced the digital revolution have not experienced uh, Exponential increase of autism diagnostic because their young children do not spend time in front of screens. Uh, they spend time outside playing in their bare feet, running around and getting into all sorts of trouble, climbing on things and doing what kids do, like when I was in Mexico a few months ago. <clears throat> uh, Dr. DeConda noticed that after his autistic, quote-unquote, autistic patient spent a month in Africa without screens, they came back with no symptoms. If screens are removed from some children with autism diagnostics, the child's brain development can return to normal. He or she uh, begins to play like never before, returns to normal development based on small studies. We cannot conclude that this is true for every child, but based on mounting numbers of clinical studies, it is certainly true for some children. Although scientists have not found a genetic link for autism, some children may be predisposed to developmental symptoms. Um, and they get into some other uh, 
parents need to support this change in lifestyle. Yeah. So it's a pretty interesting article. Um, and I, and I know if for my own myself, it's hard enough for me to put the damn thing down, um, uh, that I, I couldn't imagine it's interesting because, uh, you know, Steve jobs and Bill Gates both don't let, didn't let their children, uh, play with screens or computers when they were growing up. So they, they probably know something that we don't. Um, let's see here. Computers being silly. Got a bunch of other articles I want to get into. This is kind of a, this one's a little more out there, but it's pretty interesting. And it kind of ties into um, kids not getting outside. It's got some research in here, but uh talks about antidepressant microbes in soil. Dirt makes you happy. And I'm not going to get into a ton of, of detail about it, but it basically talks about you know, getting outside in the dirt, you know, eating things that grow in healthy dirt, um, increase, you know, and, you know, lower your risks of depression. And, you know, when I was growing up, we were out playing in the dirt, probably ate some dirt. Um, and, you know, being outside, getting dirty is, uh, is part of growing up and is part of, I think, a healthy child's development. And that's something we've become super sterile. I think we've gone to the other edge of extreme. Uh, we don't allow the kids to go out and play in the wet mud or the water or to get cold or to do anything like that. Now, this last article is going to kind of tie all this together and kind of give you my kind of thoughts on things. You can take it from there and you, know, you can listen to this and go, Laird's gone nuts. Um, or you can say, hey, you know, some of this makes sense and maybe it's something I can look out for with dealing with my own kids or yourself. Um, zoos, and this article really kind of shocked me. Um, when I saw it and I'm never going to go to a zoo again, zoos drive animals crazy. Um, it has a picture of a polar bear with a kid beside it in the glass enclosure. And it says a polar bear's natural range may be about a million times the size of a zoo enclosure, which is pretty much true. <clears throat> in the mid 1990s, Gus, a polar bear, in Central Park Zoo, alarm visitors by compulsively swimming figure eights in his pool, sometimes 12 hours a day. He stalked children from his underwater window, prompted zoo staff to put up barriers and keep frightened children away from his predatory gaze. Um, Gus's neuroticism earned him the nickname Bipolar Bear, a dose of Prozac, and $25,000 worth of behavioral therapy. Gus, as many of the mentally unstable animals featured in uh, lower uh, Bateman's new book, Animal Madness, How uh, Anxious Dogs, Compulsive Parrots, and Elements, Elephants in Recovery Help Us Understand Ourselves. The book features a dog that jumps out of the fourth floor apartment, uh, a shin-biting miniature donkey, gorillas that sob, and compulsively masturbating walruses, which is pretty interesting. I don't know if I want to see the video on that, but. <clears throat> Much of the animal madness uh, Bateman describes is caused by humans forcing animals to live in unnatural habitats. And the suffering that ensues is only on display, uh, is, is displays in most zoos. Zoos as institutions are di uh, deeply problematic. Uh, Gus, for example, was forced to live in an enclosure that was 0.000009% of the size of his 
range would have been in his natural habitat. It's impossible to replicate even a slim fraction of the kind of life a polar bear, polar bears have in the wild. Many animals cope with uh, or small environments through stereotypical behavior, which is uh, zoological parlance, uh, and repetitive behavior that serves no obvious purpose, such as pacing, bar, bar baiting, and Gus's uh, figure eight swimming. Um, this, this kind of sounds familiar with kids that can't stop fidgeting, right, in classrooms. Um, these behaviors almost never occur in the wild. In captivity, these behaviors are so common that they have names. Um, Zucrosis or phy phy psychosis caused by confinement. Sorry, I can barely talk. But basically it goes through with all these different animals and how they're all doped up because basically they've been put in an environment that they're not suited for. Um, drugs are another common treatment for stereotypical behavior. At every zoo, I spoke with someone, uh, psychopharmaceutical psycho had been tried. She explained the pharmaceuticals are attractive to zoos because they are a hell of a lot expensive than redoing your $2 million exhibit. Uh, or getting rid of the problem, uh, uh, that problem creature. But good luck getting some hard numbers in the practice. And most of the zoos are denying study. Um, the animal pharmaceutical industry is booming in 2010 and did almost $6 billion in sales in the United States. So it just goes into all this. Uh, zoos firsthand are foremost are for people, not for animals. So, you know, you can go through this article and read it, but it basically, you know, you put some animal in an environment that it's not designed to be in and they're going to, there's going to be problems. And there's another article here, if I could pull it up that I wanted to share that kind of, kind of, you know, draws parallels between, um, uh, here we go. Perfect. Children spend less time outside than prisoners, which is ridiculous. Um, prisoners in maximum security jail spend more time outdoors than the average child, according to this uh, this study. Um, They go into this maximum security prison and talk about what time outside means to them. And basically, they got this interview here with these these prisoners um, and how important it is to go outside. And then they got this. Um, Over the years, dirt is good campaigns in general focus on the joy of kids being allowed to get themselves filthy from head to toe. Uh, originally positioned based on insight that adults had fears around allowing their children to play outdoors freely. This is intended to reassure parents and help encourage free thinking, creative mucky play. Free the Kids, created by agency Mullen Lowe, takes the central premise, but expressly in a totally different way. Uh, we are intentionally highlighting the statistic we have found that in prison inmates, the people with the least freedom in the world spend more time outside than children spend outside playing today. Parents around the world are telling us that the film had a profound effect on him. The film makes them think about to get their children outside more. 
Over the last decade, children's play has become more increasingly digitized. While it is generally agreed that there are many benefits to children's use of technology, almost eight. Well, technology just failed. My screen went blank. So basically they talk about, you know, I just lost the article for some reason, but they get into, you know, the fact that these people are maximum security prisoners and they're spending more outside outside than our kids are, which is pretty crazy. So, hold it back up. So to tie this all together, we've got these kids that can't sit still. A lot of them are being put on, you know, Ritalin and all sorts of other things, which, of course, I'm not going to pass judgment on that. I don't have children. I deal with a lot of kids every day, training people. You have to do what you feel is right for your child, um, and that's completely up to you. But if you look at the articles I've shared and you look at how much our world has changed in the last even 10 to 15 years, the more we get become zoo animals... Um, the more we're going to see this kind of erratic uh, behavior issues with children. And we really have to, we have to figure out like, you know, I'm not saying we need to give up all technology. Obviously technology is great, but we need to figure out what is the best environment for children to learn uh, for, for a healthy human being, how much time outside um, you're going to start seeing sickness because people are spending so much time inside and they don't spend enough time outside, uh, Craig Cottle and I did a podcast on the importance of, you know, getting outside and teaching people how to get outside because there's people that have really never really spent time outside because uh, they spent so much time indoors. So really the reason I wanted to do this show was just to kind of get you thinking about your own life and if you have children, the life of your children and how you can... Um, how you can kind of make set up some, maybe some, some guidelines and some boundaries for, you know, getting your kids outside, taking to the park, leading, leading by example. Uh, and for yourself, you know, maybe your kids get some of those blue walking glasses and they wear them while they do their homework at night. You know, maybe you, as a family, you go for walks in the morning outside. Um, you, you go to the park more instead of watching TV. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, little, little hinges swing, swing big doors. So, you know, hopefully you'll go through this information. I'm just kind of pointing it out to you because there's been a lot of focus lately on social media about, you know, lots of articles about unstable teenagers, unstable children, people struggling with depression, mental health. And this is kind of my take of like, you know, obviously I don't know exactly why this is happening, but I think with all these articles that we shared, that you can say, hey, this is maybe uh, a contributing cause. And honestly, it's something that you can control. You know, you can change your lifestyle. You can really uh, make an effort to get outside and walk, even if it's 15 minutes a day. Um, you can make an effort to go do things with your kids outside. You can control their screen time. Um, and it's hard. I mean, I struggle with putting down my phone. And, and getting away from it. It's highly addictive to me. So I couldn't imagine what it's like for like a 10 or 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kid to put their phone down when I struggle with it as an adult. So there's some thoughts for you. I hope it wasn't too scattered. 
Um, I skimmed some of those articles for you and summarized them. You can go back and uh, and check it out for yourself and go through all the different articles. They'll be in the in the show notes and come to your own conclusion. But I mean, the main the main purpose of this um, podcast was just to create some thought and discussion with yourself then maybe think of things in a way that you didn't think of them before uh, and maybe draw some conclusions for yourself and your family. So once again, thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Jim Laird show brought to you by body. I O F M please continue to support Kiefer and his endeavors. So I can continue to do this show. Thanks for listening. been listening to the Jim Laird show with your host Jim Laird if you'd like to hear more log on to body.io don't miss the next episode of the Jim Laird show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful